Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening session of Sunday the 11th of January 2009, entitled, A Man After God's Own Heart, Part 2. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Samuel, chapter 13, verse 14. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you were not here this morning, I don't know what to say, you've already missed half the sermon, that's all. This was one that I had to uh, uh, to split into two parts, and in a sense, we did look on the one hand at the brighter side this morning. But all of God's word is there for a purpose for us. Now I want to remind you again that as we look into First Samuel chapter thirteen and verse fourteen. That the Word of God says, as we stand to honor the reading of His Word, we're just going to read the one verse to start with. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. Remember here, the Scripture is being written to uh, King Saul. God's anointing has been taken away from him. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, the Lord, just for health and strength, the privilege that we've had to, Lord, already to be here together this evening. Lord, thank you that we can join our hearts together and Lord, sing the hymns and courses, the praises to you. But now, Lord, we come to this, Lord, this most important time when we look into your word, your word that you have preserved for us. And Lord, as we depend upon thy spirit that lives and dwells within us, because it's only through your spirit that these words can be made alive. And Father, we do pray for that anointing that can only come from you. And Lord, that nothing is said, nothing is done in any way here this evening that will bring glory and honor to anyone except you. But we do pray, Lord, not because that we can demand it in our righteousness, but because as your children we stand in such great need. Lord, if anything is to take place here this evening that will have any lasting effect, it must come from you. Speak to our hearts, Lord. You know every heart here this evening. You know every need here this evening. You knew who would be here before you even gave us this sermon. Father, we pray now that it would be used for your glory, that we would be receptive to that which you have for us. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Our thought this morning and this evening, a man after God's own heart. I said this morning that here it was a man. We know that the man after God's own heart that was being set aside here was probably the most famous king that's ever lived in all of history, King David. And of course, we ask ourselves that simple question. Why? What was it about this man that God would say that he was a man after his own heart. There's a lot of people written about in Scripture, but he's the only one that I found those words spoken of. We also said just as a reminder that many times in our humanness, we try to cover up the scars, the ugly bits. We find that that's why the makeup companies make so much money. We find that many times in the vanity, people will do all kinds of things to hide the scars. And we gave you some illustrations, but God doesn't hide the scars. We many times will try to cover over our weaknesses and our failings and our shortcomings. We don't want everybody else to know about it. But when God gives for sure, he shows us the good with the bad, the strengths with the weaknesses. And so we said as we look at this man, David, 
and we look at what God tells us about him. What can we then take and learn from that? What was it about this man that he would be after God's own heart? Now we looked at, at a sum of his life of, of all the things of the ups and downs from a shepherd boy to a musician in the king's courts to heading up the armies to a fugitive and an outlaw that was hiding in the caves running for his own life to a man that was leading the armies of the enemies of his own people to a man that was finally became king of Judah and later king of all of Israel. We looked at some of his ambitions and the things that he did and we looked back and we looked at a lot of things. We reminded us from Scripture of the fact that man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. God looks on the inner. We found that as we looked at King David, I made a proposal to you this morning that I propose to you that David was a man after God's own heart because of his faith and we looked at that matter this morning of faith. We looked at David's faith. We know that he was a man of great war, that he conquered kingdoms and built such a tremendous reign. We looked at his fight was always undergirded by his faith in God with all of his ups and downs. Read the Psalms. We find that when all the circumstances were at their worst, when all the odds were stacked against him, when there was absolutely no hope whatsoever, he kept having his faith in God. And we look thirdly at David's fulfillment of God's will. That's what Paul said about him in Acts, that he fulfilled all of God's will. He was only able to fulfill God's will. He was only able to fight those battles against tremendous odds because of the faith that undergirded it all. That's something that stands out in his life. We looked at a lot of things, reasons why he wasn't, reasons why he was. But there's something important that we want to draw our attention to this evening. And I realize here this evening we've got some young children in here. And so I'm purposely not going to be over graphic with some of the things that we speak of. But you see, the truth is, King David was not a man after God's own heart because of what was on the outside, because that he was somehow a perfect man that was above sin. He was a man after God's own heart in spite of his flaw, in spite of his weakness, in spite of his sin, if you would, because of how he dealt with that. And it really comes back to his faith. You see, turn with me if you would now. We've gone through most of 1 Samuel and we've skimmed through in the, the early parts of 2 Samuel. And I want you to turn with me now to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we're going to look this evening, as we looked at his faith this morning, I want us to just take a glimpse as we look at this man's life of the real flaw that he had in his life. And maybe we can relate to it in, in, in different ways. Certainly God gives us His Word that we can gain from it. We ought to be able to learn from His experience. I want you to notice, first of all, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we won't, for the sake of time, read all of these verses, but I'm going to pick for you. First of all, I want to read verses 1 through 5 of this chapter. And it came to pass... After the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rebah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, It is, is not 
this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived, and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. Now look down, if you would, into verse 14. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. It came to pass when Joab observed the city that he was assigned Uri unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Now look down with me in verse 26 and 27. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. A man after God's own heart. And yet we certainly, I would imagine that Today, if we had someone that we knew that had trusted God and walked with God the way that David had up until this point and then did what David has just done here in Scripture that we have read about, we'd probably call them all kinds of things, but one certainly would say, you know, he's backslid. He's gone away from the Lord. We see the Sin of lust, the sin of covetousness, the sin of adultery, the sin of thievery, the sin of murder. I mean, this was no small thing that David did here. Strolling on a roof of a palace and something happened that day that changed the entirety of his life. I want us to look, first of all, at the sin. The sin that this man committed. When did he do it? Well, from what we've just read here, it wasn't in a time of conflict and danger. He had sent the others off to battle. But David was taking his ease in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, at this point in David's life, it was a time of tremendous success for him. He was doing great prosperity. He was the most successful king with the most successful reign that had ever been. This was a golden age for the nation of Israel like the nation had never known. You see, the truth was, it was success after success after success that had brought David to where he was at this point in his life. Now again, I, I failed to take note of where I got this. It's not my original thought but I wrote it down from somewhere and I had this note in my studies that says for every man falling under the pressures of life ten are falling under the successes of life now I got that from somewhere so many times we think of people falling but you know I begin to think about that and and I find it astounding that we can we can read the history books we can read Fox's Book of Martyrs, we can, we can read about bygone years and we can look around us in the world where we are today. And the simple truth is, is the fact that Christians normally, it's not when they've got the opportunities, it's not when they have the chances so much as when they're under great persecutions that they tend to shine the most. I don't understand God blesses us. He gives us all the freedoms. He gives us greater opportunities. Right now, folks, we looked last Sunday for such a time as this. God has you here in this world right now where you are at this time for a reason. 
We can look at all of history, all the past there's been, and whatever future that there might be before his return, but you are right here, right now. For such a time as this, what does God want to do with your life? You see, the truth is, is that so many times, so many times it's when we are being blessed the most. I shared with you this morning, and I repeated and move on. I was asked this past week what I thought the future held for Great Britain and the United States of America, the countries that have sent missionaries all around the world to tell everybody of the gospel, those that I believe that have been blessed because of the place and the position that God has had in their lives. But as they've turned their back on that God, what does the future hold? And you know what? I don't know, but I know this. As we said last week, the future is in God's hands. As Christians, yes, we should be concerned. We ought not to be worried. We ought not to be fearful. We're trusting in God. God's the one that's still going to be God right through all of the economic troubles that we're going right now. God's still going to be God. Whatever happens to the leaders in the nations that we live in, He's still my God. And he's still in control of my life. And he's still in control of your life. King David, he was not at a time when things were bad. He was at a time when things were absolutely fantastic in his life. He was knowing success upon success. As a matter of fact, it wasn't a time when he had a lot of pressures. It was actually a time of idleness. <laughs> when he was able just to sit back and take it easy. He sent Joab to do the fighting for him while he stayed in Jerusalem. He was resting at home on his bed. He had idle time, easy time. Sometimes the most important hour in our lives is the hour when we have nothing to do. When, if you would, our, our mind shifts into neutral. When you're just able to think nothing occupying you, just idleness. And sometimes it's so easy in that idleness for the devil to slip in. You know, this wasn't a time when David was young and immature. And it wasn't a time when he was so old in life that he'd begun to, to lose his faculties. He was in his middle ages. He was what we would call in his prime of life. He was when his facilities and his abilities were all at their very peak. That's when the sin came in. How? I want us just to notice here very quickly. You know, I've shared with you before. One of the things that I can honestly say that I am most ashamed of in my life are the years when I turned away from my Christian upbringing in a Christian home, when I turned from all the things that I'd been taught and I turned to the world. And you know, in those years, there is nothing in my life that I can do to take back the sin. There are scars left from that time that nothing will ever take away. Yes, God's grace is big enough. Yes, God forgave me. And I don't understand. I understand less than anybody why that God chose to even give me the privilege and the opportunity to stand one time in a pulpit, let alone to preach all these years. I don't know. I don't understand it. But I thank Him for it. You see, the truth is, is that I've never met a true born-again child of God that's ever backslid and turned away from God that planned to do it. <laughs> they sat down and said, I'm just going to throw all this in and I'm going to go the other way. Well, most of them, just like me one day, they suddenly wake up and wonder, how in the world did I get here? <laughs> how could I have been so stupid? <laughs> how could I have fallen for that? And I want you to notice with King David. King David didn't decide one day that he was going to turn his back on his God that he'd had faith in, that he'd trusted, that he'd walked with all these years. He didn't just decide one day 
that he was going to go against all that that God had taught him, we find that there was a progression. Kind of like a, uh, a stair step. <laughs> one step at a time. One rung at a time on the ladder. You see, it told us here in verse 2 when we read it, he saw a woman washing herself. He saw the eyes. But you know, sometimes, have you ever had things pass before your eyes that, whew, you wished you hadn't seen that? You could have done without that? I think it was Brother Beaver that mentioned one time that he had had more retina burn on his eyes in the UK than he'd ever had just passing some of the billboards over here. I don't know how many of you have seen it. If you haven't, you probably will. There have been much debate over it in the last week or so with all the advertising that's coming out that's going to be running up and down the roads of our country on the buses telling people that God's probably not there anyway, so just go ahead and live it up and enjoy yourself. <laughs> you see, there actually it's actually a campaign against Christian voice <laughs> for making statements about God existing and making statements about people going to a place called hell. And so they've decided they've got the same freedom of speech and therefore they're going to go out and tell the whole world that there is no God out there, so just live how you want and it doesn't matter. That's where we are. That's the life that's around us. Sometimes we will see things. That was all, first of all, it was just something that passed before David's eye. But as he saw her, the Bible goes on and says, the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Folks, there's a big difference in seeing and looking. You can see something unintentional, but when you start looking, you've made a choice. You've made a choice. You know, you've never, ever committed a sin in your life. But, well, you didn't make a choice at some point to do that. Look upon. The eye not only sees here, but it begins to look. It says, he saw her and that she was very beautiful. And see, as that eye begins to go past seeing to looking, what's happening here? His mind is beginning to ponder. He's beginning to think upon the beauty of this woman. We find that it goes from seeing it with the eye to looking upon it, to thinking about it in the mind. It's a progression, folks. It could have been stopped. He did not. When he saw that woman bathing herself, he could have just as easily turned his back, turned to walk, and walked away the other way. But no, he decided to look. And as he looked... He began to think, and he began to ponder upon that. And, of course, that thought continues, and it causes reactions. It causes feelings within the flesh, within the body. It begins to affect his emotions. Before you know it, it's those emotions and those feelings that are beginning to take over, that are beginning to cause him to do what he does. You know, a little quickening of the heart rate, that desire growing stronger, probably telling himself all along, oh, I'd never really do anything. I'd never really go that far. I'm just thinking about it. We find that the next step in verse 3, though, he sent and inquired, after the woman. You see, we could still be, maybe David was still trying to convince himself that he's not really going to do anything. He's not really going to commit any sin. He's just curious. He's just curious. He, he can handle this. You find that the truth is he just took another step. He just took another step on those stairs. He just went a little bit further. You see, he could have stopped anywhere alone. He didn't have to take another step, but he did take another step. Not only then did he send an inquirer, but the Bible tells us in verse 4 that he sent messengers in 
took her. He's taking another step. It's just another little step, but now this is deliberate action on his part. He started with just seeing something and then and then looking upon it and then and then pondering upon it. And then his, his curiosity gets the best and he begins to inquire about it. Now he's actually sending somebody to bring her to him. And then we see the next step in verse 4. The Bible says he lay with her. You see, he didn't just decide to do that. He was there. A man after God's own heart laying there upon his own bed in his idle time, but one step at a time, he moved towards this sin, a deliberate sin, past the point of being able to kid anyone, let alone himself. A definite choice has been made to commit sin. Do you know what probably one of the most common crutches is at this point? I just couldn't help myself. I just couldn't help myself. They've chosen step by step by step that has gotten them to that point. Now they want to put the blame somewhere else. You know, we used to have a country word back in North Carolina where I come from, and it was called hogwash. <laughs> Anybody know what hogwash means? <laughs> we had another one that probably makes just about as much sense to you. That's just a bunch of bologna. You know what bologna is? It's that, it's that lunch meat, that sandwich meat that you make with all the scraps from everything else that's just all mixed together and goes in there kind of like a, a luncheon meat or something like that, that that you would have here. Folks, there's no truth to it. I couldn't help myself. I'm just human. The truth is he could have helped himself with every step that he took towards it. We can't blame God for this. We can't blame Christ for, for not being there, not being strong enough for us. How dare we discredit or limit his power that he's promised would be there for us? You see, truth is, David took the steps himself, each one of them. Just like you and I, we take those steps ourselves. You know, one of the real questions that we have to come back to is not really a question of could I or could I not have done this? Do I have Christ? Do I believe that He is sufficient? Do you really have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? And if you do have the Lord Jesus Christ, he's promised. He's promised that no temptation will be put upon you, that you're not at the same time given a way of escape. You don't have to take the step. Listen, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. There is no greater power, none. He's enough. He's sufficient if you've got him. Then you've got everything that you need. Then and only then can you have that faith and that trust to use what God's given you. How many steps does it take before the action takes place? It's not always the same. We can just, we can see the steps, the progression that King David made. Verse 4, she returned unto her house. You see, the staircase didn't even finish there. The sin didn't stop there. Because after the sin had been committed, then began all the deception. <laughs> all the deception. Trying to hide it, trying to cover it over, trying to, to somehow fix it. He knew exactly what he was doing when he sent for Uriah to be out on that battlefield. That he may be smitten and die. Listen to me, folks. We need to grasp this. This is the man after God's own heart, the man that has lived a life of tremendous faith, that has trusted God in times when few people would have the faith to trust him. And yet here we see his flaw. 
we see the sin coming into his life, we see him step by step progressively moving towards that point. And we see that sin leading to more sin. We see the adultery leading to the deception, leading to the murder, just trying to hide and cover up what he's already done. What was God's response to this? Well, we read there in verse 27, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God wasn't happy with it. Notice, if you would, in the next chapter, in chapter 12, we don't have time this evening to read all of the verses there, but let me just read you a few. And the Lord sent Nathan. I remember back when we first began all this, it was the Lord that sent Samuel. The Lord's using Nathan here. And he sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. There came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfarer man that was come unto him but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him and David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and he said to Nathan as the Lord liveth that man that hath done this thing shall surely die he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity have you ever noticed how much easier that it is to see the flaw in somebody else, <laughs> to see the sin in somebody else and what they've done wrong rather than in ourselves. Boy, David is quick to avenge this one. And Nathan said to David, You're that man, David. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if I had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of his son. For thou didst it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because of this deed, thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. You see, the truth is, is that there is no question. God has forgiven you. Because in actual fact, David, you ought to die for what you've done. But God's going to let you live. But there's going to be some scars. There's going to be some scars. This sin is going to cost a price. It has nothing to do with forgiveness. You see, you've brought a bad testimony upon God. And now they're going to have to see. You find that... Sin has a price. 
I've asked you time and again an illustration right back to that first scene in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't adultery and murder like David has committed here. It was sheer disobedience to God. And yet as a result of that one sin, death entered in. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. Life was changed forever. Not only for them, but for all that would come behind them because of one sin. Why is it that there is no other way into heaven today except the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The truth is, if God allowed you with the smallest sin in the world that wasn't under the blood into heaven, heaven would no longer exist. Sin would bring with it death. Heaven would become just like the world that we know now with all of the curse that's upon it. Sin is deadly. The truth is, is that God responded. He was very displeased. And He made it known that there was a price that would be paid. There were things that He had done with His life that could never be changed again. How did David respond? What well, we saw there in first thing, first of all, I have sinned against the Lord. You know, that's the first step. <laughs> recognizing. Recognizing that whatever that sin is, it is. It's against God. It's against God. It's not just against others. We find that there was anger. We read about that back in verses 5 and, and, and 6. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He could get really angry about somebody else's sin. Not about his own. But it helped him to realize and recognize it for what it was. He confessed it when he said, I have sinned. You know, if we had time this evening, we would turn. But you can turn to Psalm 51 in your Bible and you can read about it. When David cried out, and he cried out for God to forgive him for his sin and to restore to him the joy of his salvation. You see, the joy was gone. The sin had taken away. We, we somehow, we want to blame, blame God <laughs> because we don't have the joy, the peace in our lives. We want to somehow blame it on God. Well, the truth is, God wants to give you that joy. He wants to give you that peace that passeth all understanding. He wants to give you that joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. But the truth is, we allow the sin to rob us. So David, he repents. But we see that there was judgment. There was judgment. The death of the child, says this child will not live. Long term, if we take and read, we also know that it was this sin that took away the ability to fulfill his greatest desire, which was building the temple for God. He wanted to build that temple. That was his life goal. Desire. He wanted to build this great temple to God. But because of the blood that was on his hands, God would not allow him. Solomon would get that honor. He said here that the sword would never depart from his household. He was going to have battles to fight for the rest of his life. We find that we looked at here some time back. He talked about what was going to happen in his own family. And we saw the abuse, remember, of his daughter Tamar by her own brother. And then the other brother coming along and murdering and killing that brother because of what he had done to his sister. Folks, all of that was a result of David's sin. We see Absalom, his son, later completely rebelling against his own dad on his deathbed as David lay taking his last breaths he sees his two sons Solomon and Adonijah already fighting over the remains over the kingdom that he's going to leave behind what does it mean it means that God's principle that's laid down in Scripture that whatsoever a man soweth, 
that shall he also reap. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sin is never free. Do we really want to pay the price? What was the outcome? Well, probably the five most important words. Words that had to be spoken by David. And words that have to be spoken by each of us. Nobody else could speak them for you. I have sinned. Forgive me. You see, nobody can go and admit your sin to God except you. And nobody can ask those simple words for you. God, forgive me. God's already given you his answer. <laughs> he said if you'll confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. His promise is already clear. But the consequences of sin are not undone. The temple, the sword, all these things, even though his sin was forgiven the sin was forgiven and forgotten, but the consequences, the scars, lived on. God blessed in other ways. God allowed him to write the beautiful psalms that have affected people's lives right down through the years. God allowed him to still be used of him in a very, very special way. You see, Jesus came and did what he did upon Calvary with an absolute purpose in mind. And that's that your sins and my sins could be forgiven. That we could be cleansed. David was a man after God's own heart. And I'm saying to you that we saw this morning that God looks upon that heart. We ought not to be so prideful we ought not to be so confident. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that when we think that it can't get us, there's no way that we'll fall. There's no way that it'll happen to us. Just be careful. Beware. Lest you fall. The truth is, is that even a man with the phenomenal faith that this man had if he begins to take those steps, he can end up committing horrible sins that will leave consequences and scars forever. There's a couple of things for us to remember. This man after God's own heart, there were things that it cost him that could never, ever, ever be gotten back. None of us ever really know fully what price we may have to pay for that sin. But I want you to recognize this. God shows us on the one hand a man after his own heart and he shows us this great phenomenal faith that he could have in even the worst of the circumstances but he shows us the possibility of even that man with that great faith falling. He shows us his flaw. He shows us his weakness. The truth is we all have the flesh and we're all capable of taking those same steps. But what does God want to do with you in your life right now? God has you here now for a reason, for a purpose. A man after God's own heart. Man, woman, boy, girl. I finished this evening with this invitation First of all, what place does sin have in your life? Do you have a desire, a desire whatsoever to live for God, to be used of God, for God to take your life and as we sang earlier, Him be the potter, Him do the molding, Him do the making of what He wants you to be? Do we want all of God's will to be fulfilled in our lives? King David was a phenomenal man. We can learn much from his life. I would say this evening, allow us to learn from his flaw. 
Allow us to learn from his mistake and how he got there and what it cost him. Let us learn from his great faith. A man that had a phenomenal faith in God. And folks, that's just believing God's promises. Believing God and that he'll do what he says that he'll do. We can have a confidence that's not based upon the, the circumstances and the situation and the emotions and the feelings and all of those things. Recognize you, your pastor. Think of the greatest spiritual giant that you've ever known in your life. And I want to tell you something, folks. Nobody is beyond their flaws. Nobody is beyond falling. But we need to recognize the steps. We need to stop ourselves before we get to the point that something takes over that we can't control. Stop it. Recognize the danger that lies at the end. Don't go that direction. This evening, I know that if you're here and if you've never admitted your sin, if you've never invited Jesus Christ not only to forgive you but to take charge and control of your life, if you've never committed your life to Him, if you've never experienced that second birth, then more important than anything in your life is that you not leave here without that assurance tonight. And if you're here and you know with absolute certainty that you've done that, where are you with God right now? And what does God want to do with your life? Folks, we all have our flaws. That's one of the reasons that God, in all of His mercy and His grace, that's why He gave us each other. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And all the more as you see the day approach. It's easy, just like David, to look around and say, oh, you know, look at what he's done wrong and look at this and look at that. Let's try looking at ourselves. Is there something in my life right now that needs to be dealt with? God's ready to forgive. And right here this evening, there is nobody else in all the world that can admit that sin and that can humble themselves and seek forgiveness for God for it except you. Christians, how much time do we have left? You know, I was thinking about something, and, and I hope, and, and, I'll, and I'll close with this, I hope you don't take this in the wrong way. I don't mean it in an unloving way. I don't mean it in an unkind way. I got so frustrated, so frustrated in the flesh this week because, you know, it just boggles my mind the things that we allow to upset us and divide us and take our attention off of the important things in life. Everyone here today will probably meet somebody in your life tomorrow, if not this day, that is lost and on their way to an eternity in hell. We find that as we, we look around as a, as a local body of Christ, we find that so many times that it's, it's so easy to pick out and be unhappy about this or unhappy about that. When God wants us to be a light, He wants us to make a difference. I've challenged you that with already in this year. What difference? What difference can we make? What difference would it make if just us, each and every one of us, made it a point to win at least one other person to Christ this year? What difference would it make to this city if everybody that claims to be a Christian in it would commit to just winning this year? Do you think it would change this city if there were suddenly twice as many genuine believers in it? Would it change our church? Could that change a nation? Oh yes, and many times over. But you see, it doesn't begin by pointing our finger at somebody else. It begins right here. A man after God's own heart. Wow. To have that said about you, recognize you do have an enemy. But it's not anybody in this flesh. <laughs> it's Satan himself. Oh, he wants to destroy you, tear you down, keep you from being used of God any way that he can. But you've got something within you as a child of God. 
that can go against all the odds. <laughs> Remember Goliath when he looked down at little David? We looked there this morning. <laughs> Who do you think you are? You brought a stick out here to chase away a dog or something? <laughs> I've got my, my sword and I've got my shield. I could just whack you to pieces. <laughs> David looks at me and says, I got something you don't have. <laughs> my God. <laughs> I come in my God's name. He will deliver you into my hands. Folks, we can. I'm not saying that, that we do it in a cocky, unloving way. I'm just saying we can stand against this world, against the sin in this world, against all the unfairness and everything else out there. We can stand with God. We can stand for God. You know, it'd be nice even with all of our flaws, it'd be nice. It'd be nice maybe God couldn't say about me, a man after God's own heart, but it'd be nice if he was able to get just a glimpse of that, that there's something in our lives that's more important to please him than it is to please us, to serve him than to serve the flesh. May this man, David, a man after God's own heart, may he challenge your life today. And what we saw this morning is great faith. And even what we see this evening is great flaw. Let his life be a challenge to you. In some way, somehow, our lives can bring pleasure to God. Mm -hmm.